Thank you for tuning in to this podcast, where conversations with basketball and the center is right up our alley. I'm your host, Lorenzo Sison, but it's Enzo for short, and this is B Street. Yeah, yeah. I wanna reach the pylon. Pull up and skirt with a python. Pull up and stay with a viper. Never like snakes, they swiper. I get a wife, I marry. Open the door, explorer. Walk in a room. No fruit of the noon. I'm just dancing. I'm just prancing. What's up, guys? Welcome to B Street. Thank you for tuning in to episode 7 of this podcast. I did take a short break there. I was going through some rough stuff, and I just needed some personal time, but it's glad to be back. I love doing this, and I hope you guys enjoy listening to this podcast as I do preparing for it and actually just you know doing it. This week, if you guys already know, by the time you guys listen to it, March, the first round of March Madness should have already happened. Um, so that's, what, two days? I guess it starts tomorrow. Yeah, it starts tomorrow. Because um, this comes out on a Friday. Uh, so you guys know I'm not cheating or <laughs> my bracket. I'll be talking about it. I won't be focusing a lot on the bracket. Um, I have another topic in mind. But um, I will be posting a photo of my bracket on my Instagram, my Facebook, um, either after this or tomorrow, um, so you guys can see who I actually have uh, making it all the way to the Final Four and winning the whole thing. Um, I have some spicy upsets, um, but it's not as crazy as I usually go. Um, you guys will hear in a little bit, but I have two one seeds making the final four and two two seeds. I usually go pretty crazy with my stuff, um, because you know I just love the underdog and I love just crazy upsets. Uh, but without further ado, yeah, let's 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 start it off real quick. Um, so first of all, before I I start, I just want to congratulate. Liberty Flames, I'm so proud of you guys. You know, I know the amount of work you guys put in, um, from the players to the staff to the like training staff. You know, everyone just put so much work, and I just have so much love for those guys, so much love and respect. And I hope uh, you guys do amazing. I think they're already on the flight to uh, San Jose, and they're playing on. Uh, they should have already played by the time this podcast comes out, and I'll definitely be supporting them. So. I'm going to start with that that side of the bracket, um, with the east side. Duke, obviously, against North Dakota State. I have them winning. Uh, no upsets in the – no Duke upset in the first round. Um, and then I'm just going to fly, fly by through this real quick. If there is a matchup that I think would need more explaining, then I'm going to go through it. Otherwise, I'm just going to blow by. Um, I have UCF over VCU. I think, uh, you know, VCU getting back to the way they were a couple years because they were, you know, completely dominant, what, is that eight years ago? Um, and they were rebuilding last year. Uh, and this year, they did well. There were some injuries. That's why they got upset by Rhode Island in the quarterfinals of the A-10. But ultimately, I think... UCF's going to pull it off, you know, with Taco Falls and that size. Um, I think he can just uh, dominate the game. Um, then we go to the 5-12 matchup, 
Mississippi State Liberty, and you have to pick at least, I guess, a couple to upset. Um, I've seen people's brackets like Oregon upsetting Wisconsin or in Murray State upsetting Marquette's. Uh, I actually have Liberty beating Mississippi State. I have them advancing to the second round to get their first win in the NCAA tournament. I think that Liberty has just... Well, first of all, their defense, man. I mean, they're, they're doing the same defense as UVA has, you know, the pack defense. And I think with their athleticism and their, you know, dog mentality, they just play with so much heart, especially if they're able to knock down the shots. I think they should pull out the win against Mississippi State. Um, then we have Virginia Tech and St. Louis have VTech going to the next round. And then Maryland Belmont actually have Belmont beating Maryland. Now, Belmont, you know, is a team who got an at-large bid coming out of OVC. And although Maryland has a lot of size, I think because Belmont shoots it so well, I think that they would... Oh, I, I want to anyway. I want to believe that they're going to shoot it well also in that first round. I think... Um, yeah, I think it's an upset that could happen. I'm not 100% sure that it will happen. But I don't have Maryland going that deep anyway. So um, I have Belmont going against Maryland. you got to have some upsets here. You know, it, it's March Madness. It's called March Madness for a reason. So I got that going. Speaking of upsets, uh, I have Yale, the 14th seed, beating the 3 seed LSU. Because of the whole Will Wade situation and him not being able to coach, I just think, you know, Yale's in a hot streak, and I think that they'll be able to win against uh, LSU. I, let, let me know what you guys think about that. Um, I don't know if I'm being crazy about it, or I just think that Yale, Yale can just pull it off, especially the situation that LSU is in. And then I have MSU beating Bradley for the 215 matchup. Yeah, let me know what you guys think about that. Uh, the Yale LSU game. Who do you have winning that? Um, or who did you have winning that? Because it would have been done by the time this podcast comes out. Uh, and then I have MSU beating Bradley for the 215 matchup. I'm going to ride this all the way to the Final Four. So for my second round matchup, I have Duke going against UCF. I have Duke winning that. Liberty v Tech. As much as I want to see Liberty go to the Sweet 16, um, I just think v Tech. You know, with Justin Robinson, I think they can pull out the win. Um, we did play them in the preseason for a uh, it was an exhibition game for charity. Yeah, I just think VTech is a dominant team, and I think I don't think they're gonna dominate Liberty. Um, I think Liberty can hold their own against VTech, but down the stretch, when you know playing forty minutes, I think that VTech could outplay Liberty. But if Liberty wins, then you know, I'm not going to lose sleep over there, my pick. Uh, and then we have Belmont playing Yale. I have Yale beating Belmont. You know, you got to ride a team to, uh, to Sweet 16. So I have the 14th seed making it to Sweet 16. And then I have, oh, I missed a, uh, I missed something in the first round. Uh, Louisville against Minnesota. I have Minnesota pulling that out. And then Minnesota against MSU. I have MSU making the Sweet 16. So for my east side Sweet 16, I have Duke. Virginia Tech, Yale, and MSU. Now, I'm going to keep going here. Uh, I have Duke beating Virginia Tech. 
of the ACC matchup. I just think, yeah, I just, I just think Duke, you know, with Zion back and R.J. Barrett um, and Trey Jones, you know, I think they could be uh, – they're going to be a team to fear for sure. If Cam Reddish does what Cam Reddish needs to do, they might, you know, even win the whole thing. Um, we have Yale against MSU. I have MSU going against Yale. And then for the Elite Eight matchup going into the Final Four, I have Duke playing MSU. I actually have MSU winning against Duke. The thing is, like, if you think about the, like, yeah, you know, they have Trey Jones, they have R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson, um, Cam Reddish is on and off, so, you know. Um, if you think about the 2015 team that won, they had guys, like senior guys, you know, like Quinn Cook, who could help with leadership on the team. Um, and I don't think Duke has that, and because of it, uh, I have MSU making my Final Four. So MSU is my first Final Four team coming out from the East. Before I continue, I just want to apologize for all the smacking. Uh, my pa my family actually just uh, visited me from the Philippines, and uh, they gave me some calamansi uh, concentrate juice, and it is absolutely delicious. Actually, let me take a sip right now. Mmm, man, that's so good. <laughs> Alright, moving on to the West. I have Gonzaga making it to the second round against Farley Dickinson. Now with a Syracuse Baylor, I would normally have Syracuse over, but um, there was just a reported injury. I don't know, you know, I'm probably wrong, um, but I have Baylor beating Syracuse. I mean, if Syracuse beats Baylor and they make it to the second round, I have Gonzaga beating Syracuse anyway, you know, because they have the size to beat the zone, so no loss of sleep there. Um, for the other 5-12 matchup, I have Marquette against Murray State. I have Murray State pulling out the upset. You know, Jam Morant is just a beast, absolute beast. And I think he could, you know, he can definitely put his stock up if he just dominates in the tournament. So I have them winning over the number 5 seed. And then for the 4-13 matchup, I have FSU winning that one. And then the Buffalo-Arizona State matchup. I have Buffalo pulling out the win. And then Texas Tech pulling out the win against Northern Kentucky for the 3-14 matchup. And then Nevada over Florida for me. It was a close one for me, but I felt like after the run that they had last year, their experience will pull them over Florida. And then I have Michigan. Winning against uh, Montana for the 215 matchup. Now I'm going to move back to the Gonzaga matchup. I already mentioned I had Gonzaga advancing, regardless of who they're playing against, Syracuse Baylor, but for this I have them playing against Baylor for Murray State against FSU. FSU looked really good in the ACC tournament. Um, they have the size, they have the length, so I have FSU winning that, facing Gonzaga. For a rematch in a Sweet 16, and then I have Buffalo against Texas Tech. Tough one for me, but again, I said, you know, it's March Madness. You gotta have some upsets in there. 
I think Buffalo is capable. I don't. I just don't think. Oh yeah, you know, I just gotta throw in an upset. I think Buffalo is capable of beating a well coached. I might add, uh, well coached Texas Tech team. So I have Buffalo facing Michigan in Sweet 16, and Buffalo against Michigan. I have Michigan winning that one. And then for the other Sweet 16, the rematch Gonzaga FSU. Remember last year, Killian Tilly got injured, but you know he's back and healthy with and just having a great team. I talked about Gonzaga in the start of the year and actually had them as my favorites to start. And they still are my favorites. And I have Gonzaga actually pulling out the win against FSU to face Michigan in Elite Eight. This should have been the matchup last year, but they didn't make it. Um, but will Michigan win? Evan, I apologize if you guys don't know Evan. Uh he has been a guest on my podcast several times. He is a big Michigan fan, but I have Gonzaga making the Final Four over Michigan. I rode Michigan to the finals last year, so now I have Gonzaga going to the Final Four. Now moving to the other side of the bracket, I have UNC beating Iona. And then I have Utah State winning against Washington. I actually had Washington winning, but after watching... The game against Oregon, it was just like, yeah, I'm going to go with Utah State. Um, they have Auburn, Bruce Pearl against uh, New Mexico State. I have them winning. And they have Kansas winning against Northeastern. So not a lot of upsets yet. And I don't think I have any upsets on this side of the bracket. I have Iowa State uh, winning against Ohio State. And I have Houston winning against Georgia State. And again... No upsets. I got Wofford against Seton Hall, which I think is a very, very exciting game to watch. Um, but I do have Wofford pulling out the win. And then Kentucky will not lose in the first round to Abilene Christian. And I have Kentucky winning that 2-15 matchup. Now for the second round, I have UNC winning against Utah State. And then Auburn-Kansas. It took me a while to decide who's going to win this matchup. Um, it's one of those things where I'm filling out the bracket. It comes to that matchup, and I just fill out the other stuff before I fill fill that out. Um, but eventually, I did decide that I would have Auburn win against Kansas. I just think Bruce Pearl, um, great coach, and I actually talked about him in a previous episode, episode 5. Or six, I think it was episode five, where we were just talking about college coaches and, you know, who could make it to the NBA. But I just think that Bruce Pearl is a terrific coach, and I think his Auburn team will win against Kansas. I have Houston win against Iowa State for the 3 6 matchup in the second round. And then I have Kentucky beating Wofford. Again, not. I mean, Auburn 5-seed being the 4-seed is not really uh, an upset. So not too many upsets in this side of the bracket. I have UNC win against Auburn for the Sweet 16. And Houston-Kentucky, I think will, will be a good game. But I think Kentucky will rebound the ball a little better than Houston. So I have Kentucky winning that matchup. And then UNC-Kentucky, again, another tough matchup. But... Only because UNC has more experience, I think I would have UNC. I I, I battled, you know, with with this 
uh, also. Um, but I do have UNC winning against Kentucky just because of the amount of experience they had going deep in March Madness. So, so far for my final four, I have MSU, Gonzaga, and UNC. Now for the last bracket, we have Virginia playing Big South winner Gardner-Webb, which I'm surprised by that they won, actually. I had Radford winning that conference. Um, it was actually impressive when Gardner-Webb beat Campbell, but not all too surprising. I mean, Clemens is a dog. If you guys haven't seen Chris Clemens play, look him up. Short guy, but super athletic and can shoot the heck out of that ball. Um, but he doesn't have much of a supporting crew. You know, UD is good, but he's very on and off. So I wasn't surprised when Garner-Webb beat Campbell. Um, but I was surprised when they pulled out the win against Radford. I had Radford winning that, you know, with Carly Jones, Ed Polite, um, Devontae Holland, Devontae Holland, Hicks, you know, they, they just had return great, great returning players, but props to Garner-Webb for pulling out that win by double digits too, I think. Um, but I have Virginia winning that game, and then I have Mississippi winning against Oklahoma. Wisconsin-Oregon, I actually have Wisconsin winning that one. My girlfriend's going to be really happy because she's a big Badgers fan. <laughs> um, for the 4-13 matchup, though, Kansas State, terrific team, but uh, UC, UC Irvine just looked impressive. Um, and the Mountain, was that Mountain West? Big West, they were in the Big West. Um, it just looked impressive, so I have them winning against Kansas State. You know, I had to throw in a little more upsets in there. Uh, but I do have Villanova beating St. Mary's, although I wouldn't be surprised if St. Mary's pulled that win against Villanova. Then I have Purdue beating ODU, Cincy beating Iowa, and then Tennessee beating Colgate. Now for the second round. I think UVA is a ter terrific program. They're, I think they're going to learn from their mistakes from last year. I think when it comes to one and not really one and done, what's the term for it? Um, knockout, knockout tournaments where you know you just lose once and you're out. I think it's very matchup dependent and UVA wanting to, you know, slow down the game. They have the slowest pace in NCAA tournament and they also allow the least amount of points for several years too. And I remember 3 years ago or 2 years ago like the gap was like 10 points. Like it was crazy. Um but now there's some teams closing in a little bit, but they're averaging like 53 or 52 points allowed a game, which is very, very impressive in the college setting and in the ACC. So they are an amazing defensive program, and I don't think that they're going to lose to Mississippi in the second round. I actually have them winning, making it to the Sweet 16. They just have a lot of fire right now, especially after last year. So I have them winning against Mississippi. I have Wisconsin winning against UCI. Nova Pulling the win over Purdue. This one probably won't happen. Um, but I think if there's a coach that could bring a relatively young team to a Sweet 16, I think it's Jay Wright. So I have them making the Sweet 16. And then for the Cincinnati 
Tennessee matchup. I have Tennessee winning that one. So my final four, not final four, well, final four from that region, but um, my Sweet 16 is UVA, Wisconsin, Villanova, and Tennessee. Now for the UVA-Wisconsin matchup, I do have UVA making the Elite Eight and Tennessee winning against Villanova. No surprises there. Um, I think UVA-Tennessee will be a great, great, great matchup to watch. Now, the problem with UVA's style of play is it's going to be hard to come back from behind because they are limiting the amount of possessions that you have. So, you know, when you're down by double di digits, you want to be able to score the ball more, but when you're slowing down the game, slowing down the time, um, it's quite hard to catch up. So the question right now is, will UVA be able to score enough against UVA or lock them down? The problem with that is Tennessee has been super consistent throughout the year, and because of that, I have Tennessee winning against UVA to round out our Final Four list. So I have Tennessee in the south side. I have UNC in the Midwest, Gonzaga in the West, and MSU in the East. Like I said, not so crazy Final Fours. You know, you have two two seeds and two one seeds. Um, let's continue. Uh, Tennessee against UNC. Again, because Tennessee is so consistent, I do have them making the finals. You know, UNC do, does have that experience, but Tennessee also is somewhat experienced. Um, but again, the consistency, I think, is key. And this type of tournament, you know, when you only have one loss to give. Um, actually, no loss. You have no loss to give. Then for the other matchup, MSU against Gonzaga. It's a tough one, but... I said it from the start of the year, I have Gonzaga as my favorite, and they still are. Working in FIBA, seeing how, you know, Rui Hachimura just dominated. If he can dominate in professional play internationally, I just feel like he can definitely dominate in the NCAA. So I have them against Tennessee in the finals. Before I continue, I posted in my Instagram and Facebook. If you guys are friends with me on Facebook or follow me on Instagram, let me know who you think will be in the Final Four and who you think is going to win. I'm very, very curious to see what you guys think. If you guys have some crazy pick or if you think the Duke-UNC matchup, you know, it's been throwing, the matchup has been thrown around a lot, but I don't think it's going to happen. For me, it's going to be Gonzaga-Tennessee, but let me know what you think. Comment. Or send me an email. I will reply. Um, I'm very, very curious. Now for the finals matchup. Gonzaga against Tennessee. Man, it pains me to say this. Because if you recall from episode one. I did make a bet with a friend. That <laughs> I didn't think Gonzaga was going to win. And we bet like a meal, I think. We have to buy each other a meal. If Gonzaga wins, he buys me a meal. No, I buy him a meal. If Gonzaga loses... Then I buy. Then he buys me a meal. Um, wait, I got it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If Gonzaga loses, he buys me a meal. Gonzaga wins, I buy him a meal. So I would love to be wrong, but I actually have Gonzaga winning the whole thing, uh, being Tennessee. If we get another Gonzaga UNC matchup too, that'd be really, really fun. 
and I think Gonzaga will still pull out the win if they face UNC. Um, yes, that's my list. Let me know what you guys think about my list. If the picks aren't crazy enough for you or you think I got the final four wrong or something, let me know what you think. Um, I'm very curious to hear what you guys have in your bracket, um, especially with the upsets. If you had their upsets that you had they didn't have or if we had the same upsets, uh, let me know. Let me know what you think. Yeah, I just want to go through that real quick. I say that as we're roughly half an hour into this podcast. Um, it's crazy. Not a lot of people watch college basketball religiously. Um, but around this time, everyone's always making brackets, several brackets, see like seven, eight, nine, ten brackets, joining the uh, school league, um, my hall league, work league. You know, it's pretty crazy. Um, but it's pretty cool to see how one event, you know, that being also a basketball event, can do that, you know, to a whole community of people that don't follow the sport, at least in the college level. With that said, I actually want to move on to a series that I have been thinking about for a while now, and I think it's this is a perfect time to talk about it because the topic is actually analytics. Um, it is, well, it has been used more and more, um, but I feel like there's just so much untapped potential in analytics that could be used to make the sport better and help athletes perform better. I bring that up now because everyone's always talking about the probability of the 12 seed. Oh, there's always going to be a 12 seed that's going to win, the 5 seed, etc., etc. You know, the pro- probability of the upsets and stuff like that. Um, but if, you know, people are using it for that, why not use it for sports like basketball? I mean, I got into it around seven, six years ago. Yeah, roughly six years ago. In the 2012-2013 NBA season, when Mark Gasol won the Defensive Player of the Year. If you guys are not familiar with uh, that season, I'm just going to refresh you real quick. That's the, that's the season where... Miami Heat beat the Spurs with Ray Allen's backpedal three during the sixth game, yeah. Um, LeBron won MVP that year. That was the rookie year of Dame, Dame Lillard, Anthony Davis, Bradley Beal. So that's around like seven years ago. Um, Kobe was still playing, all NBA first team, man. Um, but yeah, that, that was the season that I really started to pay attention to analytics a little more closely. Um, If you guys haven't listened to uh, episode one, please check it out. Um, (laughs) But just for a quick snippet of what I said, um, I didn't have cable growing up, so the way I would stay in touch with the sport, I'd only watch highlights and stuff like that on YouTube, but I would look at the stats, and I love doing it, and... I sort of got into stats that way, looking into stats anyway, um, and the numbers, but I didn't really know about the analytics of it until the 2012-2013 season. If you guys recall, Mark Gasol won Defensive Player of the Year, but he wasn't in the all-defensive first team, so I got quite curious. That was a year that 
the center got tied for uh, NBA first team. So the all-defensive first team was LeBron James for the forward, Serge Ibaka when he was still in OKC. Tyson Chandler was one of the centers when he was in New York. Um, Joel Kim Noah when he was still good. <laughs> he was with the Bulls. He was the other center that tied with Tyson Chandler. And then for the guards, you had Chris Paul and Tony Allen. Chris Paul was still with the Clippers. Um, Tyson Chandler had nine first-place votes and six second-place votes for a total of 24 points when Joel Kim Noah had eight first-place votes and eight second-place votes for also a total of 24 points. But Marcus Gasol only had five first-place points and two second-place points. For a total of 12 points. That's like half of what Tyson uh, Tyson, <laughs> Tyson Chandler and Joel Kim Noah got. Which completely confused me. Because when it came down to the voting for the Defensive Player of the Year. Marcus Gasol had 212 points over LeBron James who only had 149. Serge Ibaka was the next one who had 122 total points. Joel Kim Noah had 107. And... Tyson Chandler only had 11. So I, w- I was quite confused how one guy was voted Defensive Player of the Year when he was in the defensive first team. Um, so I started looking at the stats, and Tyson Chandler and Joel Kim Noah, you know, out-rebounded Marcus Gasol. Um, they just looked more dominant in the paint. That's when the Knicks just had a great season. Uh, they had Carmelo, who scored the most points that year. They were the second seed in the Eastern Conference. They were like 54 and 28, only behind Miami Heat. Um, and then with Joaquin Noah and the Bulls, they were the fifth seed um, behind the Brooklyn Nets when they were still good. <laughs> um, so yeah, they were on dominant teams. And yes, Marcus Gasol was also on a good, relatively, uh, no, yeah, a good team with a competitive West and they had the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Spurs, OKC was doing great. Lakers still made the playoffs. Um, the Warriors were just starting to make the playoffs. But Zebo was more of the like the dominant player um, in that Grizzlies team. When it came to defense, Marcus Hall was just the anchor. And I think the stats that really stood out to the people voting for Defensive Player of the Year, he just had the most impact when he was on the floor. Um he was only one of six players to average at least 1.5 blocks. He had 1.7 and one steal, which he had exactly one steal game. The Grizzlies' defense allowed the league low or best. I mean, the best would be the lowest score. So a league low 88.7 points per game during the regular season. And this was due to Gasol's plus 5.4 score differential. And that was ranked second among NBA centers that season. And additionally, and additionally, the Grizzlies enjoyed a 7.5 score differential. I mean, a plus 7.5 score differential when Gasol was on the court compared to minus 3.9 when he was on the bench. So it was stuff like this that sort of opened my eyes to analytics. I loved it, and I started doing a little more research on my own. Before I continue talking about statistical analysis, I just want to talk about two other types of analytics. Um, quantitative and qualitative analytics or research. Um, I won't be talking about this too much 
Uh, hopefully, I will be able to cover it within the next uh, few episodes. But just to give you a little insight into what it is, qualitative analytics or qualitative research is considered to be suitable for gaining a deeper understanding for the underlying reasons and motivations. It gives insights into the setting of a problem. At the same time, it frequently generates ideas and hypotheses for later quantitative research. Now, qualitative research typically is exploratory in nature. They're often not conclusive, and you can't automatically use it to make generalizations. However, using it to get a deeper understanding of a given rationale for further decision-making, I think, is indispensable. Now, for quantitative research, its main purpose is the quantification of data. This allows generalizations of results from a sample to an entire population of interest. So unlike qualitative research, you can draw generalizations from results using quantitative research. And it's essential for providing a broad base of insight on which typically a final course of action is recommended. So that's the difference between quantitative research and qualitative research. If you want to look more into it, go ahead. It's very, very, very interesting. Well, to me anyways, um, I have seen it being used in sports before, and I wish it was used a little more. I'm going to go into that a little further. But for this episode, we're going to focus on statistical analysis. And before I continue, I actually want to just talk about the five steps that it could be broken down to. Um, because statistical analysis is a component of data analytics. Now, the five steps are to describe the nature of the data to be analyzed, explore the relation of the data to the underlying population, create a model to summarize understanding of how the data relates to the underlying population, and then prove or disprove the validity of the model, and then employ predictive analytics to run scenarios that will help guide future actions. So a great example of this is Moneyball. For those of you not familiar with Moneyball, it was first a book, and then it was turned into a movie. It was based on the Oakland A's baseball team when they took advantage of more analytical gauges of player performance to put out a team that could compete with richer competitors. Um, they don't have a salary cap in the MLB. For you guys who aren't familiar with salary caps, I'm going to go into that just a little bit. A salary cap is an agreement that places a limit on the amount of money that team can spend on player salaries. It exists as a per player limit or a total limit for the team's roster depending on the sport. Uh, for NFL football, um, American football, they have a hard cap, which means that they have to stay under the salary cap at all times. And the floor is also a hard floor. But if you go below the floor, you are probably not doing your job right. <laughs> um, but penalties for violating the cap regulations includes fines of up to like $5 million each. So you really want to stay below the hard cap. Now with 
basketball, the NBA, they have a soft cap and a luxury tax. So you can exceed the cap in order to retain the rights to a player who was already on the team. This is actually known as the Larry Bird exception. Celtics great, but Magic's better. <laughs> um, but he was retained by that team until his retirement under well this very rule. So using that rule, you can surpass the salary cap. But if you go past that cap, not using that rule, there are still violations. Um, and the fines could, again, face up to $5 million. Um, but the NBA also uses a luxury tax, which is triggered if the average team payroll exceeds a certain amount higher than the cap. In this case, the teams with payrolls exceeding a certain threshold had to pay a tax to the league, which is divided amongst the teams with lower payrolls. So that's how the NBA does it. MLB does not have a salary cap. They do have a luxury tax, though. If you go past a certain amount, then they will start well taxing you. Um, but if you have money, then you're just going to pay it off. That's why, like, the bigger teams like the Yankees and Red Sox, well, the Red Sox pay a lot more than the others, um, but not as much as the Yankees. The Yankees just, like, shell it out. Um, but that's what the Oakland A's are trying to go against. This was the 2002 season. Now, the problem they were having was they would develop these players, but once these players were developed, because, you know, they had to get them from cheap, they trained them. Once they were good enough to be competitive and, uh, like, to go against the Giants, um, like, I mean, like, the Giants of the game, not the Giants, um, the other teams would poach them and pay them more money to get them on their team. So they, and by they, I mean the Oakland A's, they reevaluated their strategy um, because the statistical analysis demonstrated that on-base percentage and slugging percentage are better indicators of offensive success. And they were convinced that these qualities were cheaper to obtain on the open market than more historically valued qualities such as speed and contact. So if you guys haven't read the book, read the book. It's a great read. If you guys haven't watched the movie, again, it's a great movie. Um, you have Brad Pitt, Jonah Hill, even Chris Pratt was in it um what's his name was also in it uh philip seymour hoffman rest in peace he was also in it uh, it was a great movie if you guys can't be bothered to read at least watch the movie so you have a better understanding of this um so that's how the athletics stay competitive in a larger market against giants like the new york yankees who spent over two and a half times of what they spent um, and because of the way they were thinking, they had to find players that were undervalued by the market. And that's how they use statistical analysis to their advantage. And I think it could have way more applications to other sports. You just look at, look at um, eSports in general. You know, you always see when they're picking, um, like in League of Legends or in Paladins or in Dota, if you're a Dota guy, they have like a ban list, a ban percentage, I mean, a pick percentage. Um, they have a win-loss percentage. 
they utilize these things right away. And yes, sports are using it way more now than they did like 10, 15 years ago. But I feel like there's still more room to grow. But I must still keep going on the things that it has been used for. And hopefully in next few episodes, I'll be able to explore other avenues that could be used to make basketball players better or the sport in general better. Another thing that I love to do, I love watching poker. I've learned to play poker since I was, I want to say 12 or 10. And it just fascinates me, especially because people think that you're just playing the cards and probability stuff maybe, but you're also playing the man um, or woman. Uh, but when before it's more of you're just playing the man. Nowadays you're also just playing that you're just playing the man, but at the same time you're also thinking about the probability of each hand um, that's happening. So uh, a great video to watch actually is Liv Bory, who is a uh, British uh, poker player, and she had a talk in the Oxford Union. It should be up on YouTube, um, and she talked about the science behind behind poker when she was talking about your um, betting range depending on where you are on the board. If you're a high jack, low jack, if you're on the button, if you're small blind, if you're big blind, if you're in great position, if you're in a bad position, um, what's your betting range on the flop, depending on the cards that came out, depending on your cards. Um, Daniel Negreanu always talks about right, what is my what could my range be right now and what could their range be right now and all this comes down to math and analytics and I think poker is does a beautiful job of using this to their advantage and the great players not only depend on their pure skill to read a person but they also use the math to help them be more successful in playing. Um, if you guys aren't into poker, I highly, highly suggest you guys watch the video. It's uh, Liv Bury, The Science Behind Poker. She talks in Oxford Union. Great watch, it's around an hour long. Um, if you can't be bothered to watch it, then the first, I'd say 20 minutes is really, really good. Um, but then, if you watch 20 minutes, why as well, just watch the rest. <laughs> but yeah, um, I've talked about baseball, s somewhat esports, um, and poker, but I can't talk about statistical analysis without talking about the Philadelphia 76ers and the GM at the time, Sam Hinkie. Uh, um, you guys probably know about it. They started tanking because he was convinced, Sam Hinkie was convinced that the only way to win an NBA title is to have a team that can win 55 plus games every year. And the only way to have a team that can win 55 plus games every year is to get great players. And the only way to get great players is to have enough picks to either A, draft a great player, or B, put together a trade package for a great player that can help you make a big leap. Now, uh, I was reading an article in the Business Insider, and he, 
he was being interviewed, and here's what he said when he was asked why he doesn't just try to get a little better every year. So this is what he says, and I quote, What we look at is, how do we add to what we're doing in a way that gets us closer to our goal? We don't think that it will necessarily be linear, that every year you will add five wins, and after 10 years you will get to 50. That's not the way we think about the world. We think that it comes at fits and starts, and you have to be prepared to put yourself in a position that you might be able to make big leaps. End quote. And here's how he described the overarching philosophy of how you win in the NBA. And again, I quote, he says, We're focused on how to put the building blocks in a place that have a chance to compete in May. These, those teams win in the high 50s. They don't win in the teens, and they don't add two or three wins a year, and they don't add a win a month for a little while to try and get to where they're going. They get all the way to the 50s, and they get there usually on the backs of great players. We are still, as much as I've talked about how we make decisions and as much as I've talked about our organizational goals and our player development, it is a players-driven league still. When we have a set of players that can carry us deep, that's the only way that the only way to get where we're going, end quote. So a central component to the plan of his is acquiring draft picks. And if you notice from the years before, you know, now they're a great team, but before that, they would just be on the bottom of the standings and just get picks. They got Ben Simmons, they got um, Joel B just to get these players to one help them in the team like Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, but they also got players like Jolo Okafor, Maryland Snowell, who they eventually traded away, um, to try to get both sides of the coin. Like earlier I said, uh, they were trying to draft a great player and put together a trade package for a great player that can help you make a big leap. So Sam Henke realized that it'll be hard and possibly not likely to be competitive for a championship if you don't make big moves. Um, because, as you said, you can't really just wish you'd win one game in advance, uh, one game a month or uh, add five games a year, because at the end of the day, um, you're going to be fired if you don't win. Um, so that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to build a championship-level team, and he's not interested in building a team that can just make the playoffs or, you know, make it to the second round or conference finals. He wanted the juggernaut, even if, it means Philly is the worst team in the NBA for a few years. And this was actually so effective to the point that Adam Silver had to change the rules to avoid uh, tanking now. Um, it used to be that if you were the worst team and the second worst team, you had a better chance of making it of getting the, those picks uh, than the third worst team, but now from the third to the first worst, you have more or less the same amount of um, probability. You have the same probability to make the to get the number one pick. Hinky said, you know, part of the reason he hoards the picks is that the draft is fundamentally a crapshoot, and you can't bet uh, you can't draft better than the rest of the NBA, but you can more often than the rest of the NBA. So he he said that, like, because, you know, they're always, like, draft busts and et cetera. So he was saying, you know, I'm just going to get all the picks that I can and just draft as much place as I can. 
And again, here's another quote of his. He says, and I quote, we will not bat a thousand on every single draft pick. We also have them by the bushelful, in part because of that. We don't have any hubris. <laughs> we don't. We don't have any hubris that we will get them all right. We're not certain that we have an enormous edge over anybody else. In some cases, we might not have an edge at all. But you know that that's the cost of trying to create a championship level team and just trying to um, jump to the top. They not necessarily. Um, it's not necessarily the only way to make it. That's the way that they went. Um, a team that jumps out to mind right now is the Warriors. They didn't... Like, they were a great team even before Kevin Durant came in, but um, they got players like Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, um, Steph Curry on their own, uh, and they were developed. And, you know, Mark Jackson is the guy to credit for that, although they didn't win a championship when he was there. They won it right after uh, he left or he was fired, um, and Steve Kerr took over. But yes, it's not the only way to make a champ- uh, to make a championship-level team, but Sam Hinkie has proven that this is definitely a viable way to be competitive. Now the question is, was every move that he made, was it calculated? Probably not. <laughs> um, I don't know if it was, um, but he saw the discrepancy in the um, amount of teams that won with how many wins they had and the teams that would just make it by in the playoffs. Um, and because of it, he decided to make big radical decisions and probably the most radical experiment in, you know, in sports history um, to start tanking, but he saw that the teams that made, well, that won the NBA titles had no less than 55 games or 56. Um, so, yeah. Was there a better way he could have approached this, maybe? Um, but I don't really know if he could have done it and kept his job at the same time um, because... It did take several years before the experiment paid off. But when it did pay off, everyone's like, oh, yeah, Sam Hinkie's a genius. But before that, they were saying, oh, man, this guy's crazy. You get him off the team. But I actually do think uh, he's a genius because um, now you're looking at the Phillies and they're, you know, definitely I think Sam Hinkie would be proud of what he was able to accomplish by tanking. Um, and imagine, like, because of how effective – that that experiment was the NBA had to take measures to sort of discourage tanking. The fact that they had to change the percentage um, of the draft picks for the draft lottery, I mean. Not the draft picks. Draft lottery. Um, but yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I find this stuff really, 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 really interesting. Um, if you have any questions about this or you want to start conversations with me, uh, hit me up, send me an email, um, message me, Facebook, Instagram. I do answer, I do reply to you guys. Uh, thank you guys for listening so much. I hope to continue this, the series, a little more in the future. Um, 
very very interesting stuff uh if you guys have anything you want me to talk about let me know whether it's regarding this or regarding another topic regarding march madness again let me know who your picks are for final four um or if you just have some crazy picks or if you think liberty could make sweet 16 um let me know what you guys think i love hearing from you guys uh before i end i just want to say um thank you again for tuning in to well to b street um i know i've been gone for a while but you can expect episodes every week uh from friday 11 i would say midnight but for you sticklers out there it's 11 59 p.m uh on anchor um but if you listen on itunes or spotify it usually takes uh 12 to 24 hours i'd say around that time um so if you do listen uh if you don't use anchor as uh to listen to these uh, to this podcast, then you should be able to get it by twelve noon or midnight um, on the Saturday. Uh, I am on Eastern Standard Time, so for you guys in the Philippines listening to this, uh, because of daylight savings, the time difference now is twelve hours. Am I right? Because you guys are plus eight. Yeah, twelve hours. Um, so yeah, uh, let me know what you guys think about, uh, the topic. If you want to hear more about it, your picks for the final four and yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to be watching the games. You guys should watch the games, uh, cause we have some crazy, crazy games coming up. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun and I'm just excited that there's just a lot, a lot of basketball to watch. Um, before we end, I just want to say if you enjoy this podcast and what it represents please feel free to help support this podcast with a small monthly donation. I really appreciate all your support. Uh, you can support me on Anchor. The link should be in my bio um, in Instagram. I'll put all the links in the description. Um, be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe, and also share this podcast. Also, check out the other episodes. If you haven't checked out the episodes, I have some great ones in there. Um, don't forget to tune in. Again, I said it's going to come in every Friday, 11.59 p.m. EST. And... For inquiries regarding sponsoring this podcast, please email me at enzocson at gmail.com. That's E-N-Z-O-S-I-S-O-N at gmail.com. If you guys want to support me again, I should have my Patreon up in the description. If it's not, then it should come out next week. But I plan to have it out um, when this episode comes out. Hope you love this podcast. Please tune in for the next one. I really appreciate you guys. Have a good day or night whenever you guys are listening to this. And uh, yeah, take care. See you guys. That's romantic. I'm gonna reach the pylon. Pull up and start with a python. Pull up and start with a python. Why they got their eyes on? Me and you and me and you, your mama and your cousin too. Ain't too much of a big boy, but I got like three snacks. Ooh, ooh, we. I don't speak French, I say less. Say la vie, I hate stress. And then I sip that French press, slap into my fragrance. I got smile, but it don't last. I got life, but it's gon' pass. I got flesh, but it reek. Yeah, I got flesh, but it's weak. Dinner rolls. I don't eat, I got much to say, but I don't speak.